Hello and welcome to Gilmore Ball Z, the podcast where I show my wife Dragon Ball Z, she shows me Gilmore Girls, and we both try to find some kind of common ground. I'm Grant. And I'm Paige. And this week we watched episode 128 of Dragon Ball Z Kai and Gilmore Girls season 6, episode 7. So, Paige, what happened this week on Dragon Ball Z Kai? Uh, Dragon Ball Z Kai used up all the goodwill it earned from me last week. That's what happened on Dragon Ball Z Kai. Um, to go into a little more detail, the Dragon Chopper? What do you call Bulma's Capsule Core plane? I like Dragon Chopper. That's that's good. I don't think it has an official name. Okay, so uh, the Dragon Copter is coming, and it's got Yamcha, it's got Bulma, it's got Chi-Chi, it's got Marin, it's got Android 18, it's got Roshi, it's got Yamcha. Did I say it had Yamcha? Because for some reason it's got Yamcha driving. Uh, but you skipped Videl. And Videl. They're all coming in to see what's happening because Videl has relayed the information about what's happening with Boo. So they're all coming in to see what's going on and I guess help? I don't know what they're planning on doing here. I don't... I'm not, I'm not sure how they think they're going to be useful here, but they're coming. I mean, at the very least, 18 can help. 18 can help, uh, but also can't 18 fly? Yeah, it is a little confusing what their plan is, except to just get closer and find out what's happening. Yeah, especially since they're bringing more children into this equation. And they're bringing a fully human child into this equation. Anyway, um, Krillin and Piccolo are watching over the... Knocked out bodies of Trunks and Goten. Piccolo asks Krillin to go back to tell the families what happened because he he lets on right now that Gohan is probably dead. Vegeta's definitely dead. Goku's missing in action. So the families should probably know. So he tells Krillin all of this. Krillin is like, maybe I want to see the body too. No, wait, it makes way more sense if I carry the bodies back. So he's flying back. Piccolo goes to see the body and there is nothing of Vegeta left. Apparently, putting off a large Kamehameha so much that it gets all the chi out of your body turns you into a statue, uh, which gives me some retrospective questions about Deborah, but we can talk about those later. See, I I read that differently. I think the idea was that he he let out so much extreme power that he burned himself from the inside out. Okay, that makes Because he sense. crumbles when he hits the ground, and then the wind just blows him away. So I think the idea is that that was like a weird ash plaster mold of his body, and then the wind just blows away the ash. Okay, then there are no questions later. He makes himself into ash, and it looks like he's destroyed Boo completely. We find out that Bibbidi is still alive, but has no legs. The Supreme Kai is still alive, it, but in bad shape, and he goes off to look for Gohan. But as Piccolo is talking to Bobbity, and they're yammering at each other, uh, we find out that Boo is not dead. Vegeta's sacrifice did nothing. He bursts him into pieces, but the pieces are all able to rejoin, turn themselves into smaller Boos, but then, then thank God, they don't give us multiple Boos. They turn into one big Boo. Um, so now Boo is back, and he's fine, and he restores Bobbity. So Vegeta's sacrifice did absolutely nothing. Uh, once again, as far as Piccolo is concerned, all hope for the world lands on the heads of children, because he goes back and tells Krillin about what's happened, and that we need to get Trunks and Goten back to the Watchtower to get them trained and ready to fight Boo, because this is going to be their problem. Um, 
Babidi joins back up with Boo, gets his leg restored after Boo is able to pay attention for five seconds. And they go to inflict terror on the world. Instead of just destroying it quickly, they want to draw it out. So Boo is flying through buildings gleefully while everything in the buildings is hitting Babidi in the face. Uh, Babidi is not a big fan of this plan. I think that's what happened this week on Dragon Ball Z Kai. So once again, uh, nothing the heroes did mattered. And Vegeta's big sacrifice was for nothing because it effectively changed nothing. I, I, when we get to what we thought of it, I want to actually talk about that in a little more depth, because I don't think I entirely agree that Vegeta's sacrifice was meaningless. Okay. But we can get into that later. Yeah, we can get into that later. What happened on Gilmore Girls? Uh, Gilmore Girls, this episode was about Rory's 21st birthday. Um, and there was some other stuff that happened on the side, but I think that that's really the, the most important thing to talk about is Rory's 21st birthday. Yeah. So, and I, like... I, Despite the fact that Rory was the center of it, we did still have like a Lorelei plot and a Rory plot surrounding it and kind of a grandparents plot too. So we we pick up right where we left off last episode. So I guess we'll do the Lorelei plot first. We pick up where we left off last episode uh, with Richard at Lorelei's door saying, hey, we need to talk about Rory. Lorelei is not having any of it. He's like... We need to make a plan, Lorelai. We need to get her back on track. And Lorelai rightfully points out, I had a plan. The three of us had a plan. And then you went behind my back. And so now we're in this predicament because you didn't listen to me. So this is your problem, Dad. Deal with it. And Richard's proposed solution to this problem are things like withhold her trust fund unless she goes back to Yale or buy her a townhouse if she goes back to Yale. Which, or a car. Or, or a car. any other thing. Yeah, which Lorelai, again, rightfully points out, is not going to work because Rory... Rory has many issues at this point in the series. Rory has many flaws. Rory has made many mistakes. But Rory is still not the type to take bribes at this point in the series. <laughs> and also, she doesn't need any of those things. They already gave her a car and a house. That's also true. Like, like She's bribery, already had... Too many things handed to her for bribery to work. <laughs> bribery got me into this problem. Now bribery is going to get my way out. Richard Gilmore. Um, so she basically tells Richard to fuck off. And he does. But she she's talking to Luke about it later. And she talks about how she's sad that that Rory's 21st birthday is coming up because they have this plan for when she turned 21 where they were going to go to Atlantic City and they were going to like go to a blackjack table and order drinks right at midnight, so they'd be playing 21 when she turned 21, and then they'd win a bunch of money at the blackjack tables and go buy 21 things. And then both, like, Rory repeats this later to Logan, and so both Lorelai and, Log- and, and Rory talk about how, and, well, we had a plan involving 21 guys that I guess would be inappropriate now, which is like, wait, did... did, did Rory and Lorelai have a plan to take part in an orgy on Rory's 21st birthday? I mean, or it could be have sex with 21 guys, but not necessarily at the same time. And since this was a plan that existed since Rory was five years old, maybe it was just make out with 21 guys to lower the risk of STDs and telling a five-year-old that you should have sex with 21 men. I don't know. I just, I have some questions. Um, Fair. Yeah, about that that just more questions about how close Lorelai and Rory are. Um, but yeah, so Lorelai is sad about this because they have this whole plan and she's like, oh, Rory probably doesn't even remember it. And well, we're not talking now, so it's not going to happen. 
and that's kind of the centerpiece of this episode is just that there's this party happening because Emily's like, we're going to throw her a party. So Lorelai gets an invite to the part to this birthday party. And she's like, oh, I don't know if like, like, this is just Emily trying to get me to show up. Rory doesn't actually like Rory had no part in this, but she did. And so then when later uh, Rory calls Luke's and is like, hey, is my mom coming or not? Because I need to know if to make her, how many party favors to make. And so then when Lorelai realizes that Rory actually did invite her, she says, okay, I'll go. So that's like kind of Lorelai's thing leading into this party. And uh, also a side thing is that Lorelai is self-conscious about the fact that Babette and Maury do a big spooky thing every year for Halloween. And she wants to do a big spooky thing. So she wants to do this whole big skit where she's a mad scientist who like, electrocutes Luke in the electric chair and then disembowels him by pulling sausage out of him. Yeah, why she just doesn't do the pulling sausage out of him and skip the electric chair thing? Who knows? Who knows? But whatever. So that's the thing. And Luke's like, I'm not going to do it because Luke doesn't like embarrassing himself. So that's like Lorelai's whole thing on her way into this party. Uh, Then with Rory, like... Early on in the episode, she and Logan are, like, kind of making out in the pool house, and Emily interrupts them to ask about something, Um, but really just to fact-find with Logan and find out if he has any plans for her birthday, uh, and if he's going to whisk her off to Santorini, which was a very fun wink and nod at the fact that she got to shoot on location in Santorini for the Traveling Pants movies, which were contemporary to this episode. So like, oh, okay, cool, there's a party happening. And Logan didn't even know it was her birthday, which we this time we cannot chalk up to Logan being awful because he asks her about it and we find out that she never even mentioned it. He had no yes. way of knowing when her birthday was. Okay, no, we can because he's dating a girl long-term for the first time and he wants to actually make a go of it in a relationship and he never asked when her birthday was. See, this is the kind of thing that, like, I don't know, I... Or even be- like, hey, are we going to be the kind of couple where we do a lot on birthdays? What do you think? I don't know. I would believe it hasn't come up. And because the thing is, like, I, I know some people do, but, like, I don't randomly ask people when their birthday is. Like, that's just not a thing that generally happens. Well, not a random person. Your girlfriend, who's your first longtime, like, girlfriend who you know gets excited about holidays. Because when she says, I don't really want to do anything for my birthday because of Lorelai. He says, oh, why not? You're the kind of person who gets dressed up all in green for St. Patrick's Day. Like, he knows holidays are important to her, but never thought to ask about a birthday. I'm going to still put this one squarely on Logan. That's true. Also, when did, how long have they been together at this point? Because I feel like he would have been around during her last birthday. Yeah, but I don't know if they were together together at that point. I don't think they were. Yeah, well, either way, whatever. Um, Logan's just kind of there for most of this episode, but... Later, like, he's dropping her off at home after they go out on a date, and so they're kissing in the car, and Richard interrupts them, just be like, hello, oh, I'm a bumbling grandfather. And then there's just this, uh, it's both delightful and obnoxious scene where he goes inside and he's like, Emily, they were, they were, there was serious necking happening in the driveway. Maybe she needs the talk. And we're like, oh, God, Richard and Emily don't realize that Rory's already had sex many times. Like... Richard and Emily gave her her own pool house and let her have her boyfriend over and thinks that she's not having sex. Yeah. Like, both... I mean, maybe they thought that her mom would have dissuaded her, but, like, Rory... 
not everyone who lives on their own and had a boyfriend is having sex. Like, I don't want to say that because there are a lot of people who choose not to, and that's great. But Rory has no religious affiliations that would dissuade her from having sex. She, you know, is very liberal in her politics and, I mean, not necessarily her demeanor, but there's nothing in her life that would suggest that she's not having sex. Yeah. And so... this isn't even like they're from a different generation. I'm pretty sure if we did the math, Richard and Emily went to college, like they're in their 60s at this, in 2000, so they were born in the 1940s. They were still young when the pill happened, and so a generation, like they have grown up in a generation with birth control when people would have been having sex regularly without fear of pregnancy. It's really yeah. weird. Yeah, but whatever. Yeah, so there's this scene where, look, she needs to have the talk. So they invite her into the main house for dinner one evening, and the reverend is there and starts giving Rory the whole, like, your virtue is the greatest gift you can give. Yeah, not like, the reverend from Stars Hollow is supposedly Richard and Emily's reverend. Which, like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, I believe that Emily and Richard have set foot in a church at any point in the last 20 years. Oh, no, they've set foot in a church on Christmas and Easter every year. Oh, that's true. Christmas and Easter. Um, so yeah, and she's like, uh, sorry, buddy, but I haven't been a virgin for a long time. And he's like, oh. And so then Emily's like, oh, no, my granddaughter's having sex. And she, like, finds an excuse to put a bunch of stuff in the guest house so she has to stay in the room right next to them and whatever. Like, yeah, sure. Okay, that's happening. Um, So, like, that all converges on this party. And it's this swanky party at the Gilmore house, at the Gilmore estate. And there's a sushi bar and a carving station. And they made her, they made Rory a signature cocktail that everyone in the episode talks about it being terrible, but it's like, it's, Vodka, champagne, grenadine, and pineapple juice. It sounds fine. Which, like, sounds good. Like, yeah. if you don't like sweet drinks, you don't like sweet drinks. But, like, as far as sweet drinks go, that sounds good. Look like maybe there's, like, some sugar around the rim. I don't know. Sounds like a pretty normal cocktail to me. I'd drink it. Yeah. Um, but everyone converges on this birthday party. So we get a little, see a little bit of Paris and Doyle. We get to see a little bit of Lane and Zach. And... You know, Rory has to, Rory tells Logan, like, oh, yeah, they know we're having sex now, so they're being weird about it. And, like, I don't know, that 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 plot thread doesn't actually really go anywhere. No. But Richard is not making an appearance at all at the party. And there's some awkwardness with Lorelai and Luke after they show up and everything. But eventually, like, Lorelai hears enough times that Richard hasn't made an appearance. She's like, I'm going to go check on him. So she goes to the study where Richard is engaging in the time-honored tradition of grumpily drinking alone. He's sitting in... Did in... you say grumpily drinking alone or grumpily drinking alone? Because I like both versions. Both. I said grumpily <laughs> with a P, but it could also... Yeah, both could be good. Um, And so Lorelai's like, hey, Dad, what's wrong? He's like, Rory's life is ruined. She's having sex. She's not going back to Yale. And he's real for a minute. He's like, I... I made this happen. I caused this. I set her on this path as soon as I went behind your back. And I shouldn't have done that. Thank you, Richard Herman, for still bringing it. Years yeah, after, Herman, you shouldn't be giving. <laughs> yeah, Edward Herman kills it in this scene. He, As far as I'm concerned, Edward Herman carries this entire episode on his back. Uh, but especially in this scene. Also in the other scenes, but especially in this scene. he Richard's in a really dark place for a minute there. 
and Emily comes in. So then now it's Lorelai, Emily, and Richard all together again. And I think the last time they were all in the same room, just the three of them, was when uh, they made was the agreement. Yeah. When they made the agreement, yeah. Or no, it was when they told her that they were going back on the agreement. Yeah. Because Roy wasn't in the room for that. So Lorelai's like, like Lorelai and Richard are both being like, yeah, we screwed up. She's lost. And Emily's like, she's not lost. Like, okay, they're having sex. I, I got her out of the guest house. And then as soon as the party stuff is cleared out of there, I'll do this and this and this and find all these excuses to keep her out of the guest house. And... Richard's like, it's not just the sex. Like, I don't like that she's having sex, but it's not just the sex. It's the fact that she's become adrift and she's lost her way and she's become, I mean, everything we've been saying about Rory for the last season and a half. And Emily has an outburst where she just says, like, she's, we haven't lost, we haven't lost until she comes home pregnant. And Lorelai's like, okay, I'm out. And it's it's really frustrating because she's like, it could have been a really like, wow, mom, thanks. And like walking out and giving Lauren Graham a chance to act. But instead it was very much a like, oh, and with that, I'm outie, water tribe, y'all. And just like walking out of the room. Well, and the other thing is just like, this is once again showing that the frustrating dynamic of Lorelai and Emily, where every time they make some progress, the writers decide that it's not as interesting as them just fighting about the fact that Lorelai got pregnant. And I know family conflicts are complicated, they don't get fixed really easily, but the fact that this is a conversation where the Emily Lorelai part of it, at least, could have happened four seasons ago and been better. <laughs> the, but, the, only, the only difference between this conversation happening now and happening four seasons ago is just that Lorelai's become desensitized to it. Yep. So she's just like, all right, I'm out, peace, y'all, and leaves that scene without actually emoting. Which is less interesting. Yeah, like, I could see that eventually being her reaction to this, but yeah, it's not. it doesn't make for good TV. It's like, like when, when Emily said it, I, like, kind of guessed, like, oh, shit, and then Lorelai's just like, okay, I'm gone, and I'm like, oh. Cool. That could have been fucking interesting, but instead they chose it wasn't. Um, yeah. And so then they stay with the grandparents and they argue for a little bit more. And Richard starts saying, like, she's planning parties and, and fundraisers and doing DAR stuff. And that's not who she is. She can do more than that. I don't want that life for her. And Emily's like, Emily, again, rightly points out, you're talking about my life. You don't want my life for her. You think the stuff that I do is inconsequential? You think the stuff that I do isn't important and, you know, isn't what you want for your granddaughter? Gee, thanks, Richard. And she fucking storms out on him, too. Yep. <laughs> um, which, again, just kind of highlights how they never actually resolved the whole Gilmore separation plot. Yep. There are still some serious problems in Emily and Richard's relationship that I guess we're just never going to properly address. Yep, but yep. <laughs> um, so that all happens. Uh, and then Lorelai, after she leaves, she bumps into Rory again. And Lorelai and Rory get to have an honest conversation. Um, it's not about awkward, their emotions. honest. Yeah, not about their emotions or anything, but they get to talking for a little bit. And it is awkward, but like they're kind of starting to fall back into their pattern. Like, Rory's like, I got my community service hours down from 300 to 104, and Lorelai makes a wisecrack about, like, oh, the community must be so served, they're gonna build a statue of you, and I got a dog, what, are you sure it's alive? Like, they're starting to kind of fall into their usual Gilmore Girls patter, with some awkward pauses, but they're kind of rediscovering that with each other, 
And then the scene gets cut short because they're starting to sing happy birthday. And so they yank her out of the room, um, which Logan and Lane are the two people that come up to her. And neither of them see, oh, she's talking to Lorelai. Let's give her some space for a minute. Yeah. Because for all that we shit on Logan, Logan is aware. He says earlier in the episode that he understands she misses her mom and he gets it. Like, he doesn't relate because he hates his parents, but he understands. And Lane definitely understands. Like, Lane understands having a strained relationship with your mother and how important it is to want to rekindle that. And she also has seen Rory and Lorelai's relationship her entire life because it was what she kind of wished she had. Yeah, like, there are, there are many, so many layers reasons. to why Lane should have known better in that scene. But... Their attempt to reconnect gets cut short, and Rory gets pulled away to sing Happy Birthday. And, and I so want to Laurel- say this... Oh, sorry, real quick. How much more interesting would it have been if Lane and Logan tried to fight for her, having some time for her mom, and fight off Emily and say, oh, one minute, but Emily blusters through and says, no, uh, she has to cut the cake because she's stressed about her party going wrong because Richard has told her her life is meaningless and her parties are meaningless. You make a great point. However, that would require Lane doing something important, and uh, we don't do that here. Yeah, you're right. This has never been that kind of show. No. Lane gets to do things in Lane Land. As soon as Lane leaves Lane Land, she is set dressing. Um, but yes, that would have been much more interesting. And so Lorelai and Lane. Uh, for Lane being set dressing, can we say real quick that this is the first time, this party is the first time that Lane has met Logan? Oh yeah, I was gonna. I'm gonna ask. I was gonna ask okay. about that. Then yes. never mind. This didn't happen. Uh, Lane apparently only just met Logan. Um. So. So yeah. So Lorelai is just like, okay, I think I'm done. Let's go. And Luke's like, okay, let's go. And they leave the party while they're singing Happy Birthday, and and Rory's blowing out the candles. Um. Which this was before the copyright, like it be, that song entered public domain. So they paid for Happy Birthday for this episode. So they cared about something. They cared about something. Somebody gave a shit in this episode. Um, and then while they're driving home, Luke is like, hey, if you want, you can pull sausage links out of my guts on Halloween. And she's like, thanks, babe. And that's the end of the episode. Yep. Uh, what did you think of this week's Dragon Ball Z Kai? I'm so mad, Grant. I knew this was going to happen. I expected nothing. And yet I'm still disappointed. Because I know you're going to disagree with me, and I am curious to see how you counter, like, what you feel about this. But the fact that they didn't find a way, like, I understand that Vegeta dying doesn't defeat Boo, but they didn't find a way that him having this incredible sacrifice means anything to their fight against Boo. And in fact, they make negative, like, I'm not against the try-fail cycle, where the heroes try something, they fail, it changes the situation, they try again, and it changes the situation. I don't like that they gave Vegeta a huge moment of character development where he's able to actually shine for the first time in the way that he should in a very long time, possibly years. And I know he did the Majin speech, but this is the first time they've really, really got their fingers in and dug. And then it's like the next episode. Oh, by the way, it did nothing. Boo bounces back. This is exactly identical to the previous situation. Congratulations. This did nothing. And I'm just done with that. (laughs) So, here's my thought. Okay, right? go for it. One, I, I, I understand and I agree. It is frustrating that Boo just immediately springs back and is like, Boo! 
and then fucking heals Bobbity. That's the thing I'm more upset about. Yeah, no, is this that, whole like, thing. Piccolo, it's like, yes, it stomps on Vegeta's moment, but it stomps on Piccolo's moment. Yeah, no. Which, like, yeah, Piccolo's moment of, I'm so consumed with rage over Gohan's death, I'm going to rip Bobbity in half. There are no consequences. That was frustrating, and I cannot defend that. But for for Boo, just looking at Boo, yes, it's frustrating that Boo immediately springs back. And I would have liked if at somehow Boo at least sprang back in a different form. Yes. Um, because Boo is going to go through different forms later. And so I don't see why it couldn't have happened now. Um, so, yes, I agree with that part. But on the surface, I think just because it didn't necessarily change the situation doesn't mean that the character development Vegeta went through isn't valuable. It would be it would it would be nice if it was both, but I think not getting both doesn't mean that one still isn't a good thing that we got. The changes I... it made to Vegeta's character and the changes that will last for Vegeta's character moving forward are do still mean that moment was meaningful. Yes, but I think a couple things there. Um, one, it's meaningful for his character, but sitting where I am as someone who doesn't know what's going to happen in the future of the show, let's pretend I didn't know that Vegeta's somehow going to come back because he will, obviously. I don't know if that's going to mean anything to his character moving forward. For all I know, when he comes back, they're going to like pull a memory wipe and it's like, oh, Vegeta, why are you like this? And then we're going to have to spend another few seasons building his character up all over again, or he'll never come back and he just died for nothing. Where, Like, so... Him moving forward as a character and this having repercussions down the line isn't necessarily something that I know about at this point and they don't really signal it. Because it could even be like if Piccolo learns that it didn't work, but he finds something from Vegeta's sacrifice that helps or even like Vegeta's sacrifice changes his perspective and so it helps him when he comes back to fight him later. Any of these things, like some sign that there was forward movement with the other characters even to signal that his character change meant something would be nice. But it feels disrespectful to the character change that Vegeta went through that they give us his sacrifice and it goes poof immediately. Like, yes, that doesn't change the fact that the character, like the change existed, but it feels like, you know... It feels like Toriyama gave us like a sheet of paper that was like, look at this pretty character development. I just burned it. The end. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. But point two, though, is that it's not fair to say that Vegeta's intervention did not change the story at all. Because you have to think back a couple episodes where before Vegeta intervened, Mm -hmm. Supreme Kai was knocked out. Right. Gohan was knocked out. Right. Deborah had been turned to candy and eaten. Right. Like... So the the Z fighters were screwed before Vegeta intervened. Right. So by sacrificing himself, he he saved Piccolo and Krillin and Goten and Trunks. Right. But most importantly, he saved the Supreme Kai, who is now going to go save Gohan, which they did pretty heavily telegraph. Right. But at the same time, that still would have happened if he hadn't sacrificed himself. We have displayed that, like, Vegeta, when fighting with, especially with fighting with Go, Goten and Trunks, but even Vegeta by himself could probably hold off Boo for a minute. And so if he had blasted him a few times and given the Supreme Kai time to wake up, look around, see what was happening, and try to find Gohan, 
like Piccolo and Krillin were already back if he had stalled for a little longer so Goku could have waked up, woken up. The situation would have been actually better if he hadn't died, so they made his sacrifice worth, worth less than nothing. I think that... Like, all of those positive side effects that you listed could have happened if he had stalled. That's true. And they still would have had a Vegeta to fight with, so we could have gotten Goku and Vegeta fighting Boo together. That's true. Um, all those things are true. And so, like, yeah, I'm not going to say this is like a genius story move, but no. I do still think it's not quite fair to say that it did nothing because even if, yes, logically there are other ways that it could have worked out, those are still benefits that came around as a result of Vegeta's actions. I'm still going to say it's worth less than nothing because if Vegeta had stalled and not had a good character moment, he would, like, be alive and more helpful, so we were hurt for him having a good character moment. I think that... I'm mad. The- <laughs> I understand. I understand. And you're allowed to be mad, and it is frustrating, but I think there's a little more to it than just it did nothing. No, Um, it did nothing like every single Dragon Ball fight has done nothing. Like, this is the, like, it's part of the reason it's frustrating is this is the format it always takes, is that someone puts a big attack forward and then it does nothing. So even when I was watching it and impressed by Vegeta doing something, it was like, cool, even right now it's kind of tainted by the fact that I know that what's, you know, gonna happen is gonna happen, and I was right. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't think it's, I don't think we should throw the whole thing out. Um, It was in an effort to, particularly to get Goten and Trunks out of the situation. And we're going to run with this idea that they're kind of the hope for beating Majin Buu for a bit. I think. And if. Is important. But if they had, like, I would have no problem with it, actually. I would like it much better if they had framed it that way. If Vegeta had said, I'm killing myself. I know I can't beat him, he'll still regenerate, but this will give you time to get my son out? That would be even more powerful than I'm killing myself to defeat Boo. But it was framed as I'm killing myself to defeat Boo. Yeah, there... You're correct that there are many ways that it could have been improved. And it undercuts itself at every turn. But I think that the core of it is still good, and so that's why I don't... I don't want to say that it was a waste because the core of it is still good and it still does good things for the characters. It's just, it's a classic Toriyama situation of this was a good idea. I wish you had executed it better. Right. I think my problem with it though, is that the way it's executed takes all the wind out of the sails for the good things about it. See, I don't know. I just didn't get that vibe. I think, I think that's, I think we'll just have to agree to disagree on this one. Cause I feel like it, the stuff that you're talking about definitely did undercut it, but I don't think it undercut it to the degree... For me, it did not undercut it to the degree that it did for you. Yeah. Um, I wish that... Yes, I wish Vegeta had made it a little clearer. Because he does, he does like, hand the kids off to Piccolo and say, like, keep them safe. But I do wish he'd had one line of, like, if this doesn't work, they're the only hope of defeating Majin Buu. Right, because keep them safe is, like, being not a terrible adult. Yeah, that was just tied in with, I finally care about my kid, my kid now. Yeah, like... I mean, heck, it's character development for Vegeta if he learns that his kid occasionally needs to be fed. Yeah. So I wish he had said something about, like, keep them safe if this doesn't work. Right. To acknowledge that. And I do wish that they'd, that, like, the Supreme Kai had a line of, like, thank you, Vegeta, because of your sacrifice, I might be able to save Gohan. To really make those two things tie in a little bit better, I think would have strengthened it. And it would have turned these things that do kind of undercut it into strengths. Well, and Just I think a, that was a few fun. extra lines could have saved that. And the thing is, I think the extra lines they had were misused. 
Because there was a little bit that I liked that was uh, Piccolo basically pointing out that Vegeta has destroyed himself completely, so there's not even an image of himself to remain. That's really cool. That's an interesting thing for Vegeta as a character who was proud of making his existence known everywhere that he destroyed himself completely. But that was undercut by everyone laying out distinctly, like, all, like, there were tons of lines like, Vegeta, even though he was so proud, destroyed himself. This is the first thing he's done for anyone else. And it's like, yes, I know this show is for children, but give us some credit. You told us that last episode. And they spend so much time talking about how great this character development is that it feels less great because they have to tell us repeatedly. Yeah, like, there's a balance, I think, and this episode definitely did not find it. No. Uh, But, like, I I, I respect the fact that this is a difficult balance to strike, where all of the characters would realistically be like, wait, Vegeta did what? Like, everyone should be a little bit like, holy shit, Vegeta just did that. That is not like him at all. But the thing is, they're all divided, so they have that line separately, and they all wax poetical. Yes. The other interesting thing, I think, is that you mentioned that we have the dragon copter with everybody on board, and we have the scene that we had a little bit earlier, but we're only really having it now, of all of the normies sitting around talking about, I can't believe Vegeta's done this. And so, like, Bulma's still worried. We remember that Bulma's a couple episodes behind now. Bulma's still worrying about, like, Vegeta killed all those people. Yeah. Like, he killed all those people. Is is that really who he is? Yeah, I feel no. like I do. Like, Bulma feels like she doesn't know the man that she's been spending all this time with because, like, wait, was all that stuff where I thought he was softening an act and that's really who he's been all along? Yeah. But we as the audience know, like, no, Bulma, uh, you weren't there, but but that wasn't him. The whole point of this is that he he tried to go back to being who he was and he realized that that's not me and he decided to become somebody better. And it's like, no, your husband just did something really, really beautiful, but you didn't see it. And so there's an interesting, like, like... No, and I forgot that because I was so angry about the Vegeta thing. Yeah, there's there's interesting stuff happening there. And again, it's Toriyama, so it wasn't totally capitalized on. But that's interesting that it's like Vegeta, like... Bulma, obviously, we'll eventually find out, but in this moment, Bulma is so worried that her husband is a horrible man, but she doesn't realize that he just proved in possibly the greatest way one can that he actually is a good man who just made a really bad mistake. And it also reminds you that, like, oh, yeah, Vegeta did this really, really horrible thing, like, an hour ago. Yep. And so maybe the only way for him to atone was for him to die. There's a whole lot of things we could get. Like, if we're getting into atonement, that's a whole other question of the layers of death and atonement. But Yeah, and I hate... As I think, this time I think it worked, but in general, I really don't like when it's like, a proper redemption arc? Nah, just do one thing and then die immediately. You're off scot-free. That, like, fantasy sci-fi fantasy sci-fi stuff does all the time yeah where it's like oh no the bad guy is gonna do one nice thing then die well and it does mean that we never have to grapple with the question of who is vegeta really yeah i know he'll come back but by the time he comes back we're gonna have forgotten about the fact he killed people like i want to see bulma grappling with all of those things 
And we see it a little bit. We get it for like two lines and then we get Boo bouncing around for 20 minutes. Yeah, it... Again, it's it's Dragon Ball stuff, so it's really, really interesting for a short period, and then we focus on the stuff that we care about less, which is the unfortunate curse of this series. Yeah. I do want to point out one more thing about this episode of Dragon Ball Z Kai. Yeah. Uh, there is a bit that we didn't talk about where, like, the shockwave from Vegeta's explosion actually knocks out the engine on the plane. Oh, right, okay, yeah. And so, like, Yamcha has to make an emergency landing. 18, uh, for one, we see 18's parenting technique which is grabbing Marin by the leg, holding her upside down, and saying, stop crying, Marin, you're fine. Yeah. Uh, but then we also 18 hey, is like... I've I- heard from parents that if a child falls over and scrapes their knee, then you don't make a big deal of it, because then the kid knows it's not a big deal. That's true. I think 18 read that same book, but read it a little differently. There you go. Uh, but 18 then flies out of the plane... And gets underneath it and holds it up as it makes a, you know, levels them off so they can make an emergency landing. Which means that in this episode, Android 18 holds a form of mass transit over her head while gently lowering it to safety, making this episode a better Superman movie than Man of Steel. Important. Also, uh, when that shockwave hits, Bulma does feel it and realize that that means that Vegeta's dead because they have an emotional connection that will never be explored by this show. Yep. Uh, What did you think of Gilmore Girls? I am a little split on this week's Gilmore Girls. That's fair. Uh, this week's Gilmore Girls had some good stuff. Uh-huh. That, like, is stuff we haven't seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. But it also had some really bad stuff. Yeah. So what are the highs? The highs, I mean, I honestly, I do genuinely think Edward Herman killed it this entire episode as Richard. Absolutely. Every scene Richard was in, he, like... He might have been given some stupid stuff to do occasionally. He did, yeah. The material wasn't necessarily the best, but he put his all into it. Mm-hmm. He was, he sold the questionably realistic plan of let's bribe bribery into staying to Yale. And he sold that he was trying to work together with Lorelai, but got frustrated with her when she was giving him lip. He even sold like, I'm a bumbling granddad. How are you guys doing? When he interrupted Logan and Rory making out uh, in the driveway. And he really sold that scene in the study. It that was that was the best material he's gotten to chew on in seasons at this point. Um, that was all really great. I think that the scene between Rory and Lorelai at the end mm-hmm. also was really good. Yeah, the them like kind of feeling each other out and being like, is it okay for us to joke around with each other? Is it okay for me to make a wisecrack right now? Is it, is it okay for this? And they're slowly starting to get comfortable and then it gets cut short? Well, and then also, like, things have moved forward in your life in big ways and that's important to me, but I didn't get to get be there. So how am I happy and sad right now? Yeah, like... And how vulnerable an, can I be? It was an interesting scene and I think also cutting it short was the right decision in this episode. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we cut this short because... The, the circumstances mean they can't just go back to being normal. I that, liked and, that. And that's part of the tension of them trying to do that feeling out in public. Like, for one thing, it's a very vulnerable act. And this is supposed to be her party. So it's kind of just the tension between, like, for one thing, this is supposed to be her party. So it's awkward to have feelings at your own birthday party. But also, these are a lot of people she doesn't know and it's not her world. And the one tied to her world is cut off. And having that conversation in public means you don't know how long you get to keep it. Yeah, so, like, I liked all of that. Ugh, what else did I like? I 
I mean, Paris and Doyle were fun. I like the idea of Paris and Doyle rehearsing their little bit about how Paris is the new editor for the Yale newspaper. So she says, it used to be I was sleeping with the editor, and then Doyle goes, but now I am. And we see them make that same bit like three times to three different groups of people, which is exactly how Paris and Doyle would tackle a party. Yep. (laughs) Like, snappy joke that also is way too familiar to be talking about with strangers, and you rehearsed it. Perfect. Um, so, like, there was, there was good stuff to grapple with in this episode, but, like, it was even well-structured, like, seeing everyone converge on this birthday party and how everyone's relationships intertwined there, it was all interesting, but there was just so much well, and weird... I will say... Go ahead. Yeah, I will say for the first time in a while, it didn't just feel like a collection of scenes, it felt it like did. an actual episode. It didn't, it did. It felt like an actual episode as opposed to just here's some stuff that happened, and I liked that. So, like... I didn't hate this episode as I, I I would say that this episode's probably the best of the season so far. Yeah. Um, maybe Richard almost punching Mitchum Hudsberger at the DAR. Yeah. Um, just because of that scene. But this probably at least structure wise was the best episode of the season so far. But those but, lows. Tell me about the lows. Uh just that scene in the study with the three of them in Richard's study could have been so much better. I feel like I we already talked about how Lorelai did not get to properly react to Emily's line about Rory coming home pregnant. Like, that was a wasted opportunity. And we didn't even really get to sit with Richard and Emily any longer after the, like, you don't want her to become like me bit. Like, there was tons and tons and tons of dramatic potential in that scene that none of it got capitalized whatsoever. Yep. Um, The ending... It felt like they were trying to be powerful, but it just didn't land of like the last shot. I'm sorry. The last shot should have been Rory or not Rory Lorelai standing in the doorway, watching through a doorway as everybody else is singing Rory happy birthday. And she blows out the candles and Lorelai isn't part of that world anymore. Like it's a tortured metaphor, but it works in this situation and it would have been the perfect place to end the episode on. Yep. But instead we get this weird, like, awkward driving home scene. Like, you can pull sausage links out of me. And that's the end. She's <laughs> like, okay, whatever. The sausage links thing didn't work. It was a dumb side plot. It didn't work. Yeah, Emily... I know we've been complaining about Emily being flanderized a lot. But I feel like it was especially bad in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, She refers to Lane as Rory's Asian friend. Yeah. Multiple times, like, oh, your Asian friend. Like, you mean Lane. And, like, Rory even is like, Grandma, her name is Lane. <laughs> like, Grandma, you can't say that. And I'm sorry, Emily Gilmore never forgets a name. Yeah. Emily Gilmore never forgets a name. Emily Gilmore does not forget her granddaughter's best friend's name. Yeah. That just doesn't happen. Emily Gilmore keeps these things on lock. She knows everybody's name. She knows exactly how everybody knows everybody. She knows Lane's name. She and then knows beyond how that, to like artfully forget a name, but I don't think this was this. No. And then beyond that, like Emily, Emily has her problems. Emily definitely is a little bit racist, but I feel like we've been turning up the Emily racism dial lately. We had the whole bit with her housekeeper of like, those people don't like it when you talk to them. What was that language? Was that Spanish? Like that whole thing from a couple episodes ago? Yeah. And then this year, I'm sorry, she would know 
to have the politeness not to refer to somebody as your Asian friend. That's just, that's not Emily. That's I'm not shocked, Emily. Like, if they're going to go that, I'm shocked they didn't go whole hog and use an older term for Asian. Yeah, Emily knows not to say that. Yeah, so that was really frustrating. And there's a bit when they're setting up the party where Emily's like, like just shouting off screen to somebody like, what? No, I didn't tell you to put that there. You're fired. Which yeah. is like, I know Emily fires people at the drop of a hat is a running gag, but Emily literally firing somebody for putting something in the wrong spot one time is just ridiculous. And I wish they dug a little bit more into why Emily and Richard are so upset at the notion of Rory having sex. Because, like, yes, obviously, Lorelai got pregnant at 16, so now they're terrified of Rory having sex because they're afraid she's going to like like Lorelai. I, as an intelligent, media-literate viewer, can see that and connect those dots on my own. I'm a Dragon Ball Z fan. I'm real good at coloring and characterization that they haven't given to me. But you need to, you need to do that work. You need to draw that conclusion, right? Like, it was written like a Dragon Ball scene where we have to color it all in on our own. Until they get to the, like, hammer drop of until she comes home pregnant, it's like, okay, let's just put all the subtext as text. Let's have yeah, no subtext and then, and, then, and then just text. Yeah, and then not properly execute on it there. So it's like, why was this plot even here? Why yeah. was that plot even there? It didn't, it didn't accomplish anything. Well, and I'm just frustrated. Like, can, can I complain about that pastor for a bit? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Take your, take your, take your complaining about Christians on TV corner. Yeah, Let, let's get it all on the table. Like, I know we've talked about it before, but I'm a person who chose to be abstinent until I was married. I have a lot of friends who also made that same decision. And even though, thankfully, none of the churches that I was old enough went hardcore on the purity culture, uh, like, I still had plenty of interactions with purity culture growing up. Uh, purity culture, for people who don't know, is the subsection of especially Christian culture where the, you know, where, where virginity, even in some cases kissing, uh, usually not that intense, but it depends on where you go. Um, and it's that intense, especially in children's books trying to teach children about purity. Yes, there are those. They're terrifying. Um, it gets intense. And it, like, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of problems with how purity culture puts the value of women and it is just women. Uh, even though men shouldn't have sex either in this culture, it's it's women who have the pressure put on them. You're uh, all vile temptresses. For one thing, I was really frustrated with them acting like Rory lost her virginity to Logan. Yeah, she makes a joke about like, oh, yeah, sorry, I gave you my, apparently I gave you my greatest gift, next guy gets a sweater. And it's like... No, no, you gave that to no. Dean. <laughs> Dean, you owe, Logan, you owe Logan a sweater, little lady. You owe Logan a sweater. But like... And I'm not even complaining about a pastor talking to a young girl, telling her that her greatest gift is her purity. Like, that's a flanderized, over-the-top version of purity culture, but it also happens. Like, there are corners of this world where that happens, and I'm not, I don't think that's representative of Christianity as a whole, but it happens. The Gilmores are definitely not Catholic. Uh, if I had to guess what faith they are, they're probably Presbyterians or Methodists or some mainline congregation. Like, purity culture tends to be bigger in evangelical circles. And there's no way that, em like, Richard and Emily Gilmore go to an evangelical church that goes that hard on purity culture. Uh, those churches, like, mainline churches still have purity as a value, and they might, you know, there might be people in those churches who would even talk about 
virginity that way, but it tends to be less of a cultural touchstone that you, you know, like purity rings aren't necessarily as much of a thing. But even that, like a pastor coming over to dinner with probably high donor, they probably donate a lot to the church. They probably don't come very regularly. Going over to dinner at their house so he can needle their child over dinner about teaching her what purity means as a 21-year-old is highly questionable for several on several levels. And I would be shocked to see someone do that. And like, I'm sure it's happened. I'm sure, you know, somebody could tell me this happened to my friend. Like, I'm, but for a mainline pastor to overstep the boundaries that far, I am very confused about this pastor that they found to like tell Rory that her virginity is a gift and she has to give the next guy a sweater. Oh, the whole scene was horrible. The whole scene was not only horrible, but just like, Definitely someone who doesn't know how Christianity works. I'm done. That's my soapbox. Excellent. Yeah, so I don't know how I felt about this episode in general. I didn't hate it, but I also didn't love it. Can I talk about one other scene that was a missed opportunity? What other scene do you think was a missed opportunity? Uh, We talked earlier in this episode, but there was a scene that we glossed over, which is Rory has a weird dream. She has oh, a, yeah. She has a dream. Uh, so Madeleine Albright, Secretary of State under Bill Clinton, goes into the, like, is with her in bed. And it's just a replay, basically, of the scene from when she turned 16. And Lorelai woke her up in bed, obviously not for the first time, to retell her the story of her birth at the time of her birth. And it's the same thing, like, they use line for line some of the same lines, just swapping in 21 for 16. And this scene should be fascinating. Because not only is it, like, featuring the fact that Rory is smart, she's politically involved, she misses her mom, but the fact is that she's replacing Madeline Albright with her mother. So... Rory, who has given up all of her passion for journalism and has given up on that and is planning DAR parties, is still, like, dreaming about talking to Madeline Albright. Like, there's a part of her old life, like, both from a family angle, but also from a professional angle, and her, you know, aspirations is worming its way into her. But then the most we get about it is, like, I had a dream where Madeline Albright was my mother. Yeah, I didn't even it did none of that even occurred to me because it was her. played off as such just like haha, wild wacky dream. I have problems with my mom. But the fact is they went and got Madeline Albright. Yeah, that was actually her. And they didn't do anything with it. Nope. So sorry, you were wrapping up. Um, yeah, no. Uh I don't think there's really any more for me to say about this episode. I think that uh, the other missed opportunity was that we had uh, several people at the party who all wanted to help Rory get her life on track and none of them talked to each other, but whatever. What else is new? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so do you have any questions about Dragon Ball? Um. I cannot explain Yajirobe's terrible mustache. Yeah, that was the main one. (laughs) (laughs) Why why he thought that was a good decision. Uh, Why they're letting Yamcha come with them to this mission where he obviously isn't going to be helpful. Yeah, That's especially because it. it's like he's flying the plane, but I guarantee you Bulma is a better pilot. Oh, absolutely. Bulma piloted a fucking spaceship. No, I would rather have the version of this scene where Bulma is freaking out driving the spaceship. Yeah. Or driving the helicopter. Because, like, emotionally stressed Bulma would go too fast and go too hard. 
and there's a baby on board. Mm-hmm. That would be a great scene. Yep. Instead, Yamcha's here. Instead, uh, Yamcha's I, here. I have to say, uh, Yamcha was there so they could get that one really thirsty shot of Yamcha as a mechanic. Yeah. Because there's a shot where, like, later Yamcha's fixing up the plane, and it's just, like, it's shot, the camera's, like, underneath the the plane, and Yamcha's, like, taken off his overshirt, so he's just, like, in a tank top and super ripped and just, like, a little bit dirty and grimy from, from uh, you know, working. And he's, like, fixing the thing. Oh, yeah. And it is very much a, like, hey, ladies, he may well, not be as strong as Vegeta, but he's handy. Especially because, like, he is the most traditionally attractive member of the cast. He, like, has less wacky hair than Goku. He's taller than Vegeta. He's got a scar that is, you know, aesthetically pleasing instead of being grotesque. Like... If he wasn't Yamcha, there would be a thirst squad, but he's Yamcha, so he's somehow undone his own thirst squad. Yamcha thirst squad, sound off in the comments. We know you're out there. That'll be our t-shirt. Yamcha thirst squad. Yamcha thirst squad. There you go. We gotta make (laughs) t-shirts. Okay, do you have any other questions about Dragon Ball? Um, no, not really. This episode was pretty straightforward. It just made me upset. Do you have any questions about Gilmore Girls? Why doesn't Logan have a properly tailored suit? It's a great question. Like, he shows up to the party in the suit, the sleeves are way too long, and he just generally looks like he's wearing his dad's suit. Oh, like, he I'm always sorry. looks like he's wearing his dad's suit. It, it really struck me. I, I'm sure you're right, but it only first really struck me in this episode. It was like, I'm sorry, Logan Huntsberger doesn't have a properly fitting suit. Oh, no. Like, the shoulders are always huge on him. He always looks like Business Mabel from Gravity Falls, where she's wearing, you know, a giant adult suit with shoulder pads. Like, they're always too big. I just, whatever. Uh, and yeah, Logan's never met Lane until this party. Yep. Rory hasn't been like, hey, I want you to meet my best friend. Nope. Uh, missed opportunity. Another missed opportunity is like somebody scoping out Stars Hollow for a life and death brigade stunt and Rory trying to keep it from happening there because it's her hometown and she doesn't want her lives intersecting. Yeah, right? Like the opportunities, like... Uh... Even the bad seasons of this show have interesting potential, but then they don't capitalize on that potential. So it's like, you're doing something stupid and you're not even doing it right. Yep. You're doing something stupid badly. Yep. I just, uh, who do you want to swap? Um, actually, I have one more question I want to ask. Okay. Well, I just have two. One, I know we've talked about this, but I still want to talk about it. <sighs> Emily says, like, if we give her, if we make her sleep in the house instead of the pool house, we'll keep her from having sex here. For one thing, has it never occurred to either of them that Logan has his own place? And, like, she could say, oh, I'm staying with Paris or Elaine or anything like that. Or that Logan Logan is above just, like, parking in a parking garage somewhere. Well, I mean, they they say, oh, his car is too small for that. Rory has a car. I know. Uh, two, like, how did they believe that no one will get pregnant under their roof? Yeah, didn't, didn't, didn't yep. Lorelai and Christopher- Rory was con- conceived in that house. In that, in that room, wasn't it? Wasn't it that they had sex on the balcony? Yeah. I think they established that specifically they had sex on the balcony and that's how Rory was conceived. Yep. And, like, with, I mean, Richard's at work most of the time. He's traveling a lot. Emily is often at charity functions, and sure, Rory's going along with the DAR stuff, and she has her community service work, but is are you telling me there's no time that Rory and Logan could be alone in that house? If they like, want to fuck, they're gonna fuck. I don't believe Emily's that stupid. 
No, season and, six, like, Emily is. Maybe before Lorelai got pregnant, but after Lorelai got pregnant, she is acutely aware that sex happens in that house. I just, I don't even, I got nothing for that. Um, And also, I have, like, that whole, the whole Paris, you know, now I'm the editor-in-chief, now I'm the editor It's cute, but it makes zero sense. Like, a few months into the year, they reassign the paper staff instead of assigning staff the year before. And a sophomore is now editor-in-chief? No, she's a junior now. Oh, I guess she's a junior now. Yeah, she's a junior now. Well, for one thing, why has Doyle been editor-in-chief since he was a sophomore? Oh, good point. And why is a junior becoming editor-in-chief mid-year? You know, so much other stupid shit happened in this episode, and this show generally just has no idea how time works enough that I didn't even think of that, but you're right. It's all stupid. I'm just, I'm not even, I'm not even phased anymore. Who do you want to swap? Uh, I, I think I want to swap Richard and Yamcha. Okay. Uh, Yamcha would wingman Rory. And, he, you know, sure, he wouldn't help her achieve her potential, but he wouldn't get in the way. And he would probably just be hitting on Lorelai, so everything would be fine there. Meanwhile, I'd really love to see Richard in the cockpit with Bulma. Where she's freaking out because her husband's gone evil. And he's like, okay, so what's our plan to get Vegeta unevil? Do we give him a planet? Do we give him two planets? We could give him, um, you're, you have a lot of money. We could give him a capsule house. And she's like, he turned evil. What do you expect it to do? Oh, no, I think he died. Oh, not on my watch. Like, I want to see Richard trying to work through Bulma's emotions and make a plan to get Vegeta back to the side of the angels. That would be pretty good. Uh, I want to swap, I want to swap Zack. Okay. And Majin Buu. Okay. Because a giant fat candy man going, wahoo, it's a boo, I'm boo, in the middle of that party would have made it a lot livelier and more interesting. Um, and, you know, I feel like Lorelai and Rory would have been able to better reconnect in that moment where they had to reconnect. If they could have been like, so what the fuck's up with the giant pink guy? I don't know. Lane brought him. Um, and also just like, oh, should we invite your Asian friend, Lane, grandma? Oh, yes, we'll invite Lane and her giant chaos demon. Oh, your Asian friend has a giant chaos demon writing it down. Oh, it would have been interesting. To be uh, and fair, then, that's probably easier than telling her that anyone's bringing their girlfriend. Probably. Uh, and then... Because uh, you know that season six Emily is also homophobic. Oh, for sure. To, to a massive degree. For sure. Uh, and then Zach gets exploded. How many of these just end with Zach getting exploded? Is Zach getting exploded ever going to be a bad thing? No. Zach gets exploded. I rest my case. So, with that, that is Gilmore Ball Z for this week. So, thank you all so much for listening. You know where to find us on social media. Our Facebook is Gilmore Ball Z. Our Twitter is at Gilmore Ball Z. Our email is GilmoreBallZ at gmail.com. And our WordPress is GilmoreBallZ.wordpress.com. Drop us a comment, send us an email, all that kind of stuff. We love hearing from our fans. Also, if you have not yet, please drop us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Facebook, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Let us know what you think. And uh, yeah, so with that, that's our show, and we will see you next Saturday. Bye. So, 
Can Yamcha fix the hole in Lorelei's wall? How many times has 18 dropped Marin? And how many times has she told Krillin about it? And does Majin Buu taste like the Rory? Find out next time on Gilmore Ball Z.